0: What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. What if you woke up inspired? What if you woke up with a zeal and a passion and a fervor to live that day. It would change everything, wouldn't it? It would change how you lead. It would change how you live. And it would certainly change how you love. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike. And it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you. As we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and the places that God has put us. Episode 165 is going to be one of your favorites. I get to sit down with a good friend of mine, Kevin Paul Scott. Kevin's the president of Addo, a company he co-founded. They created the Chick-fil-A Leader Academy. He's written so many great books for 21st century leaders like The Lens, Eight Essential Exchanges, The Leper's Lessons. But I believe his book, Inspired Every Day, is his best yet. Kevin gets under the covers of what's causing this lack of motivation and inspiration and gives us tools and gives us answers. This is going to be a good one. So I don't know where you're listening from. I don't know what you're doing today, but I want you to pull out a piece of paper. I want you to pull out your notebook or your tablet, jot down some notes because this is full of gold and listen to my conversation with my good friend, Kevin. Kevin. Scott. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for joining me in this episode of Lynch for the Leader. It's an honor to have you again. Hey, yeah,
1: I, I feel like I'm in the illustrious group that's been invited back, and I look I, at the other guests, I'm
0: like, man, I'm I am not worthy to be in that category. Listen, man, listen, I take all comers. And when they're really good, I love having them back. So it's a, just a joy. You're one of my favorite people. For those of you, for those of you guys outside Atlanta, uh, Kevin Scott is a, a local yokel here. We get to be together quite a bit at some different events. And truly one of my favorite leaders. And what I love about you, Kevin, is your new book, Inspired Every Day. It's more than a book to you. That's truly a passion for you. Talk to us a little bit about being inspired and what was the drive behind even creating a book like this. Yep. So
1: I'm going to give you the 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 true story, and I'll give you the bullet like the, the 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 public answer in a minute. But let me just be real honest with you for a second. So started Addo co-founded it in 2011. Atto is our company. It's the Latin word for inspire. And I just had this belief that, man, what our world needs is more people to be inspired. I mean, if if students are inspired, they perform better in school. If employees are inspired, they perform better. If if athletes are inspired, I mean, there's some some benefits to it. And Mike, I'm going to just tell you over the years, you realize that while a lot of people believe that's true, there are a lot of inspiration critics and skeptics out there that would view this, even the fact that we're having this conversation as the fluffy stuff or the soft stuff. They don't view it as the like the meat. And when I set out to write this book, what I wanted to do was answer the critics on inspiration and say really two things. Number one can you measure inspiration? Can you actually say like, can can you tell if, if somebody is more inspired or not? And then the second question is if you can measure it, which by the way, you can, and that's not just according to me, that's according to researchers from the university of Pennsylvania. It's according to Harvard, all these people are smarter than me, but you can measure it. And the second thing is you can show that when people are inspired, their results are better. And That really, at the core, is the heartbeat behind it. And then if one and two are true, if you can measure inspiration and it leads to better performance, then how can we reverse engineer our lives in a way that we will show up inspired every single day?
0: And this is a dilemma business leaders are facing. And I know you spend so much of your time, Kevin, going out into the marketplace and consulting and working and speaking Finding inspired people, they're not just standing on street corners anymore, are they?
1: (laughs) No, they're not. I mean, you know, when I talk to any business, they basically will name two challenges, supply chain, and I can't help you with that. And the second one is labor. I mean, it's how do I attract the right people? How do I engage the right people? How do I retain the right people? And it is, I mean, there is an epidemic of apathy across the country the latest Gallup study came out like a month ago, Mike, Like, with, and it says that 79% of the American workforce is disengaged, 79%. So right now, people listening to this podcast, four in five are disengaged at their job. And and this is the thing. I, we've, we're trying to solve it in the wrong way. Hmm. They're trying to solve it at corporate offices with ping pong tables and you know, happy hours and these kind of things. And that, that entertainment is not inspiration mm. and at its core, and this is what people miss a lot. People want to be inspired and to be inspired, there is an element of challenge that has to exist. Um, so that's one of the things I've been most excited about my conversation with you, Mike is you so much live at the intersection of sports and business and ministry in there yeah. too, but this is an area where the business world could learn a lot of lessons from the sports world. I mean, so, I, I just want you to think about this right now. Yeah, what they're trying to do at offices is make things easier. Now I know you hate this as a as a not a University of Georgia fan, <laughs> but there's a bunch of people lining up to go play for Kirby Smart or for Nick Saban. Why? Their life is not going to be easier. That's right. They could go somewhere else easy. But for some reason, people actually to be inspired, we want to tackle challenging things that are meaningful. And if we can create environments where that is true, and people show up ready to give their best every day.
0: You know, you you make a statement, and I thought it was really interesting. You said getting inspired is the engine that drives us to excel. If we don't have it, will we, you know, this whole podcast is about spiritual leadership and 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 living for God the best we can in the spaces and places he puts us. If we can't get inspired with something bigger than us, so and we're going to get into those three things that you talk about, will our engine ever properly function in life?
1: Yeah, I don't believe it. Not sustained. Mm. It won't. And and the, the because. If you're not truly inspired to do something, you'll quit when it gets hard. I mean, you just you just flat out will. But man, if you actually care, you'll try hard things, you'll be inspired by them and you'll accomplish so much more. And we can get into this in a second. I just I just ask you to think about this right now. Think about the things you've done in your life that you're most proud of. Everybody who thinks of that, they were inspired to do something that that was meaningful. Like, you know, we, we spend our lives trying to make our life easier. And nobody's inspired when your life is easier. I mean, if I ask right now, I mean, if I even ask you, you'd probably talk about staying married, about raising kids, about Starting North Star, about all I things, all those things are hard. If I ask you what you did Tuesday three weeks ago, nobody remembers because it was just pointless. So actual inspiration when you want to do things that are meaningful and worthwhile, man, that's what that what's what makes a life worth living.
0: It really does. And, and you talked about in this world, there's three types of people. There's broken successful, but empty, passionate, and humble. Why is it easier to live in the first two than it is to be in the passionate, humble category?
1: Well, one, probably because a lot of us struggle with humility. I know I do. One of my favorite podcasts you had is about the three chairs. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's so good. Um, but yeah, I, So here's when people aren't inspired, I think people mostly like in their minds, they think about people in that broken category, you know, they're just, their life feels like they're not succeeding. They're not thriving. I mean, there are people right now that are listening to this, they're in that category, Mm. but there are probably far more in that second category. Yeah. They're successful on the outside. In fact, if others ask if they were inspired, people would probably perceive them to be inspired, but they just wake up every day, and, and maybe it's because they're not living for something bigger than themselves. Maybe spiritually they're off track. Uh, I I don't know what all those things are, but they are successful on the outside, but, man, they're just they're not excited to do what they do. That's why, I mean... 79% disengaged, if you're not inspired at work, you'll never be engaged at work. Mm, and mm. there's a lot of people in that second category. And that's why I think that third is like, you you're, you care about what you're doing. You're inspired to do it. But um, there's a level of humility to understand that while you love what you do, that
0: you're working for something bigger than yourself. You, you put a quote, one of my favorite quotes. The place that God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I think you believe, Kevin, like I do, every person was created with a purpose bigger than them. Why is it so vital that they lean into that purpose that they were created for?
1: Yeah, (sighs) If you are living every day just for yourself, for your pleasure, for your power, for your prestige, for your possession, for whatever is just going to make you happy, it's ultimately empty. Mm. it It is not ultimately fulfilling. We are designed, we are wired in a way to live for something that is bigger than ourselves, to have a purpose. And by the way, I, I use the term purpose in the book. Mike, you could use the term vision, you could use the term mission, you could use the term goal. And while each of those we could haggle over definitions, while while they each maybe are technically different, they function in the same way in that they are something out there that is drawing us toward mm-hmm. them. It, it, it's something we're aiming for that or we're shooting for. And, um, yeah, it's when you have a purpose or a vision or a mission, I believe it helps you do three things. Like it helps you want to get up in the morning. What makes you want to get out of bed? It's got that passion. Uh, It helps you know where you're going, which means it gives you direction. When you have a purpose, it simplifies your decision-making process. Should I do this or that? I don't know. Does it help me get closer to my purpose or further away? It just makes things easier. And the third thing is he makes you willing to keep going. So that's the motivation, even when things get tough. Uh, while I believe there are three ingredients for inspiration, if you don't have a purpose, the other two are pointless. You've got to start with
0: something bigger than yourself. If you were sitting down coaching a leader, Kevin, and you are sitting over breakfast or lunch, and they're going, what do I need to do to begin to find this? What do I need to do? Yeah. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm 30 years old. I've got a job in corporate America. I don't really know, Kevin, what my purpose is. Where would you tell them to start? Yeah. Two, a couple
1: of thoughts. First one is I would think about what, what do you get excited about? What do you get mad about? Like what just ticks you off and you say, man, this shouldn't be the case. You know, what is it that there's something inside you that, that starts to stir. That'd be the first question. And I, I'm almost envisioning these this Venn diagram, because you got to have that. And the second part is, what does the world need? That quote that you read a few minutes ago, yep. where that, those two meet. Because I, I do believe, Mike, and you're in schools a lot. I'm in schools a lot. Man, I think we've done kids a disservice when we told them, well, just follow whatever you're passionate about. Just do that. Okay. Mike there's a lot of people who are passionate about being a baseball player but they're not good enough to do it for a yeah. living. Yep. Yeah. That's a great hobby. Um if I if I'm passionate about uh you know roller skating that doesn't mean somebody's going to pay me to do it. So you got to find where where your passion intersects with with a big need in the world. And that's a really good place to start for the purpose.
0: You know, it's so funny as I've met with so many leaders through the year, Kevin, through the years, I wonder if this is true of you. So many times our purpose is always tied to something that doesn't benefit us, but benefits other people. Why do you think that's true? Why do you think this inherent purpose that God built into us really blesses us the least and benefits others most?
1: (laughs) Man, it is. It is. I don't know why, but I know that God created us that way. Mm. Like, that's the thing. I don't actually know the answer. I know God created us that way. There's a book that sold, will sell a lot more copies than inspired every day. And that's the (laughs) book that Rick Warren wrote called The Purpose Driven Life. I think it sold more than any book except the Bible. Purpose Driven Life. So here's a book on how to have a purpose driven life. And what are his first lines of the book? It's not about you. Yep. So even that, a whole book about purpose tells you a purpose. So. You know, and I think as a as a believer, this is an this is something we get naturally, but you gotta understand like even if you're not a believer, this applies to everybody because a purpose that's about you is ultimately not satisfying
0: or fulfilling. Why do you think that is? Why do you why do you because it it almost doesn't seem right. You would think, well, if it is about me, it would be incredibly fulfilling. Why do you think it's not? Why do you think at the end of the day, people look in the mirror and go, really? Is this all that there is?
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is, if it's about me, then it's going to die in a few years. Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a part that, you know, we are so often the center of our own lives. And, and I'm careful to use this illustration because I understand there's some Challenges for certain people, or reason they don't do it. But like for me, I I felt like in a lot of ways I was the center of my life until I had children. And then I began to feel like that if I can impart things to those kids, if I can do things for, for my kids, it will live on beyond me. And when we understand that every single one of us is going to die at some point. Now, this is a real exciting podcast, isn't it? When we start talking about dying soon, (laughs) nobody wants to hear that. But I mean, that's the truth is we've got to come face to face with the fact that we're not going to be here uh, forever. And if we want to, if we want to be a part of something that is going to live beyond us, then our purpose has to live beyond us. And that's just, I mean, I think that that's maybe a question that Mike, I hadn't thought about before, but I would, challenge people right now, your question is, do you want to be a part of things that live on beyond you? And if you do, then they need to be beyond you now.
0: Mm, mm, That's good. You know, and I think it ties into your second thing, Kevin, talking about a problem to overcome that, that there's something so big that you have to do something about it. I remember years ago Bill Hybels called it holy discontent. We yeah. we feel like we have to get involved. Why do you think inspiring re- leaders run to a problem, not away from it? Why do you think they're just instinctively drawn in to getting involved in that problem?
1: Okay. Let me go back and hit one piece and I want to get to this cuz this is this maybe will help people. When I when I think of these Three Indispensable Ingredients, and you talk about problem. Mike, until I wrote this book, I would have never told you that one of the indispensable ingredients, like one of the things you need to be inspired is a problem. That, to me, is counterintuitive. But over the last several years, I have asked thousands of leaders these two questions. These two questions. The first question I'm asking them is this. Are you inspired in what you're doing right now? Hmm. And, Mike, this is heartbreaking. 90% of them, more than 90% of them say no they're not. And the second question I'll ask them, can you think of a time in your life you have been inspired? And immediately they can all think of some, many of a multiple moments. And so they're, you're not inspired now, but you have been inspired at some point. What I've started to ask is what, okay, what existed at that moment that doesn't exist now? And in you know, I'd love to tell you there were eight things or seven things because those make better book titles. But the truth is what I found was there were three things that had to be present. That doesn't mean others weren't, but three things had to be present purpose, problem and partners. And that problem piece is the one that is the most overlooked and the most misunderstood that when people are inspired, there is something challenging standing in their way. There's something for a sports team. It's the competition. It's the goal to be better for a business. It's a a new revenue target. It's a new ambitious plan they've set. Um, You know, I've actually found the companies with the best corporate cultures are have been the best at identifying an enemy. Mm. Now, when I say an enemy, it doesn't mean the people down the street, but like you know, one of the one of the most inspiring offices I've been to is the Ramsey Solutions office up there. Their enemy is dead. That's right. And, and they're like they they even use terms like we're on a crusade. So they use terms that say we've got some big thing out there that we are trying to defeat. Um. By the way, this is maybe not popular for what I'm going to share with you right here, but I one of the things that always impressed me, Mike, about you and your church is your ability to reach men. Men in particular want to be a part of tackling big challenges. You remember these books like wild at heart and all this. And for some reason, man, we've made church and Christianity soft and and we've made it and people want to be a part of tackling a problem. And so to be inspired, you got to have a purpose, but you got to have something in your life that you're
0: trying to, um, trying to overcome or tackle. You know, we still tell the story. You did a great job in the chapter talking about David and Goliath, We still are drawn to that story. Why do you think that story still is told in locker rooms? It's still told on college campuses. It's still told from pulpits. It's still told parents to children. And when you're at work facing a big obstacle, why do you think we're so drawn to the story of David and Goliath? David didn't even go out that day to kill Goliath. He was taking food to his brothers. Why do you think we're still drawn to that, Kevin?
1: Man, there are so many reasons to come back there. I mean, number one, we love the underdog story. I mean, if I don't, if it's not my team, I'm cheering for the underdog usually. So we love that. Number two, we love that that obstacle was big. Like if if there were if David would have beaten another guy that was smaller than David, nobody would ever tell that story. It would not be compelling. The story is in part exciting because the size of the problem was so big. Mm. I mean, I, I I open. I don't remember if, it's, if this is bad. It may be in the opening of the book, but I I take a quote from Donald Miller's book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and he he basically. Are you familiar? I don't, have you read that book? I, don't I haven't read it. No. This is good. Just so Donald Miller is the guy that wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. Blue Like Jazz, and it became a New York Times bestseller. And then the movie people said we should do a movie about your life. And they came to do a movie about your life, and they're like, about Donald Miller's life, and they're like, here's the problem. Your life is too boring for us to do a movie about. We don't want to do a mo- Like, if David had stayed in the field with the sheep, nobody would have ever mm. done a movie about his life because it wasn't compelling. And he says in his book that if we wouldn't go watch a movie about something that's boring like that, that doesn't have a big challenge, why do we try to design our lives that way? True. And I think that's a question each of us have to, the reason, Hey, let me me step on some toes for a second. The reason there are some guys that are still telling stories about their high school football championship 30 years later is because they haven't tackled a problem that big since then. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're not inspired is because at some point, whether life beat them down and they're broken, or maybe they found success, but they're empty, but they have just for some reason stopped tackling big challenges and they wake up every day, just like, well, I'm going to just go through the motions. And and I just don't believe at my core, I do not believe God created us
0: to wake up every day and go through the motions. You you told a great story, Kevin, about cows and Buffalo and how they each, this is great. You told this at lunch with a leader one time how they respond to a storm coming. Tell everybody about this. This is really, really good. You know, I hate telling this because I feel
1: more like a cow than a buffalo. And It's a lot easier to, to tell this on a podcast. This is a fascinating, like people can look this up. This is a true story. Cows and buffaloes both respond differently to storms. So when a cow, like I, I use this example, when a cow senses a storm coming and let's say that the storm is moving from west to east, when the cow senses the storm coming, its its de- default is to move east, so to run away from the storm. So as the storm is coming, it's trying to move away from it. The problem is the cow is slow, the storm is faster, the storm ends up catching up. And so by the time the storm catches the cow, the cow continues to try to outrun it. And basically, the cow ends up spending a heck of a lot more time in the storm. They would have been better off just standing still. Yep but they keep moving as they stay in the storm forever okay the buffalo is the opposite the buffalo senses a storm coming from west to east and the buffalo begins to move toward the storm and because the buffalo is running one direction and the storm is running the other the buffalo will actually spend less time in the storm because of the way that it uh confronts it that's right and you know this is not like hey try to be a bull in a China shop or try to, but think about your willingness to confront challenges head on. Can I give you two thoughts on that? Yep. Number one, uh, I think it's Tim Ferriss said it this way. He said a person's success in life can often be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. he or she is willing to have each day. I'm going to say it again. Cause I need to hear it. Cause I struggle with it. <laughs> a person's success <laughs> in life can often be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations that he or she is willing to have each day. We got to be willing to tackle challenges head on. The second thought about that is if if we're doing things that are really meaningful, I think we're willing to push back or, or tackle things that are more difficult when we believe in them. Mm. This isn't like just challenging for challenging sake. It, it's got to be, this is where purpose and problem intersect because it's not problem for problem's sake. It's problems. It's problems. That that I need to overcome to get me closer to my purpose.
0: That's good. I know sometimes the only uncomfortable conversations you and I have are talking to each other about uncomfortable conversations. <laughs> you know, I, I I
1: realize that you and I talking about this. I mean, it, I am not wired that way. No, but, but it's right though. I totally agree. But we respect people. I, I heard a sermon one time, uh, by some charismatic preacher who had these three topics, you can steal as in some way. He talked about promise, problem, provision, promise, problem, provision. And he says, you can look at a pattern in God's word where God makes a promise, ch- child of God faces a problem mm. and how they react in the problem determines how long they stay in it until they get to their provision. That's good. And I believe there is something to that in life We've got a purpose, maybe, then we have a problem, and the way that we react to that problem affects really how quickly
0: or whether or not we get to the purpose. As you talked about the purpose and the problem, you also talked about we all need partners that push us forward. We can't do this alone. God created us to live in community, to do this with somebody else. And I love your Brene Brown connections while we're here, we're hardwired to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives. And without it, there is suffering. You talked about men. Why do you feel like so many men, Kevin, feel like, well, I'm going to have a big purpose and I'm going to have a problem. I'm going to tackle, but I really just want to do a solo ride on this deal. Why do you think guys pull back from those meaningful relationships with other men what would you say
1: yeah e- ego power and control mm. ego power and control and and I, I those are not all the same they're all different ego is if i have to work with somebody else i may not get some all the credit and man we love credit and applause That's right i do uh power man working with somebody else you got to share you got to got to. Get everybody on the same page. You do it's a lot easier just to call the shots on your own, and, and that control is similar to that. We we don't want somebody else to get too close to us or or be able to influence. So I think men struggle with this maybe more, but this um, this loneliness thing, Mike, is one of the saddest things in the world. I saw a study within the last several weeks that in high school right now, one third of high school girls have contemplated suicide in the last year. One third. Life is not meant to be lived alone. And uh, we are more digitally connected and more isolated than we've ever been. And if we don't get this piece right, all the purpose and problems and all that won't mean anything if we don't have somebody to share it with. And when I say this, I just want to, be, that could be a spouse. It can be a friend. It can be a coworker. It can be a client or a customer. You may be a person that works on your own, but it can, it, it's about being in relationship with the people uh, that we are interacting with.
0: And you've been intentional about that, Kevin. I mean, we're in a we've been in a leadership group together for a couple of years, even though they're on a little break right now. Um, why has it been so vital to you to have other like minded guys around you that are really not even in your industry? They're all in very different industries. What has it done for you to be around other people who are living with a great purpose, tackling great problems? How's it inspired you, even in your journey, just being around them?
1: Yeah, I think it's helped in a lot of areas. I think maybe you think about that concept of iron sharpening iron, which, you know, Mike, I've heard that verse for my whole life. Iron sharpens iron. I, you know, two people make each other better. And then one day, my wife asked me to sharpen knives at our house. Which was a mistake. First of all, I don't think she could have done a lot better than I could have. But I, I'm watching that process and I'm like, this is a, not a good process. Like, this is, they're like rubbing against each other in a way that causes friction and sh- basically takes off certain edges to make something mm-hmm. sharper. Being around other uh, men like that, what I mean, it's helped sharpen me. So it helps. Um, me see other people have challenges. I think that's probably maybe one of the biggest is like, it's not just me. Um, and I think there is something about when you're after other people that are getting after something, Mm. I did it. One of our mutual friends, mine and yours is a guy named Eric Blumenthal. And he told me this question that he loves asking right now, who in your life is winning right now?
0: Mm.
1: Who in your life is winning right now? He said, because I want to be around people who are winning. And I feel like that's also a good challenge. Being around a group of guys who are, you know, when you feel like, I just want to phone it in today. It's like, no, man, they're going after something. I need to be doing that
0: as well. Hmm. Do you find yourself as you get older as a leader, Kevin, wanting to be more on cruise control than you were when you and Garrett were just cranking it out and you were first starting as a young single guy to college do you, do you find this is a little different at, at your age now than when you first began at
1: Yeah. And I think there are two reasons, one healthy and one not healthy. <laughs> the first reason I think is, um, and this is the healthy one, um, is, you know, before I'm married and have kids, if I'm honest and I still have this tendency a little bit, but I find a lot of my, Uh, self-worth or how people, um, how I view myself based on the opinion of others. Mm. And so part of the motivation to get after it is like, man, I hope people are, they're impressed that they think I did something. And I think, and I do think there's something that's healthy about not being driven by that as much. So that's a, that's a positive thing. But the other part of it is, is I find myself tired a lot. You know, you're laughing at me. You're laughing because, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a a four and a half year old, a two year old, another one on the way, involved at church and at work. And there's all these things that I find myself tired. But I think a lot of times as we get older, we can mistake activity for accomplishment. And because we're doing more things, we assume we're doing the right things Mm and i think there's a lot of us myself included that are filling our schedules with
0: a lot of things that aren't always the right things you know you you did a really good job in the second half of the book you talked about if your purpose fades and i think for all of us as we age we feel like our purpose fades a little bit it definitely has to get reclarified but you said the danger of that is you become aimless yeah why yeah. is aimlessness and you think about midlife crisis you think about men especially that go through the season of i don't even know why i'm here am i just a paycheck dad is the kids are little my wife and i aren't connecting like we used to connect why is aimlessness so dangerous and and so hard to catch at times what would you say yeah it's well i mean it, it one if,
1: if you're aimless, that means you don't know where you're going. Mm. So you may be tackling problems you may have other people, but you could you don't know where you're going to end up because you're just go it doesn't matter as much the destination and that's a really dangerous place to be in. And I think one of the reasons that this happens and this is men or women, but it happens at that middle age is because a lot of times we had a purpose or a goal that then we accomplished and we didn't set the next one. And you know, it's like we this is what we always wanted to be. I wanted to get to this level. I wanted to be a principal. I wanted to be a head coach. I wanted to be a whatever. And then you get there and, and you somehow have just uh you haven't set another goal or had a new dream or a fresh vision. And to me, that's a that's a sad place to be in. Uh, and I think what happens is we look for substitutes in that mm. season. And it's easy because a lot of us listening, we, we may not fall that, you know, for us, it's not alcohol or drugs or whatever else, or, you know, but it's, it's just stupid things that are meaningless. It's titles, it's certain cars, it's vacations, uh, and I'm not against enjoying having pleasures in life, but they're not ultimately fulfilling. Hmm. I I, um, I remember being in college and watching a a passion conference that John Piper spoke at. And I remember thinking, number one, man, that guy is so old. Um, He looks really (laughs) old at the time and really kind of angry a little bit. (laughs) But he used this illustration of these, like, he he read um, a Reader's Digest. No, a lot of your listeners probably don't even know Reader's Digest anymore. Read read a Reader's Digest article of a of a couple who had retired to Florida and were spending their time collecting seashells. And he's basically like, "What a pointless life! Hmm. Like that sounds fun. <laughs> maybe maybe it sounds fun. But like, what like what is actually going to matter in the brevity of life?" In the short time that we have, the Bible says that our life is like a right. vapor. And what's going to matter for eternity? And man, I just, I, that's why we've got to have a purpose that's bigger than us. And we if we lose it,
0: we're in a dangerous place. And you said if the problem no longer exists, we can get apathetic. So the problem has been accomplished you know, I remember sitting at breakfast with you and some of our guys, and and uh, Jesse told us about the book, The Second Mountain. Yeah. Uh, or Bert. I think Bert told us about the book, The Second Mountain. Yeah. Why do you think it's so important that we have another mountain to climb, another task to achieve? Yeah. It, I mean, there, there's got to be something
1: else that – um that's worth us tackling, that's worthy of our effort. Uh, If we don't continue to push ourselves, we're going to atrophy. I use um, this illustration in the book where I use the terms simple and complicated and easy and hard, simple and complicated, easy and hard. Basically, should we try to make things in our life more simple or more complicated? I think everybody listening would say more simple. I mean, complicated is Many of us are frustrated when things are unnecessarily complicated. Anybody tried to file your taxes lately? I mean, how annoying is that process? Complicated is not good. But then there's this other word, easy or juxtaposition, easy and hard. And on the surface, we say that we want things to be easy. But things that are easy are not ultimately fulfilling. Mm. Um, I, I was asked a question last week, I was speaking at a conference, Mike, and I was asked a question by a leader. How do you differentiate? Cause I, I intuitively get those, but simple and complicated or easy hard. how do you, how do you make things both simple and hard? And this was a light bulb moment for me. Something that really came clear, simple and complicated is about systems. Easy and hard is about effort, mm. simple and complicated. So let, let's go football for a second. Simple and complicated is we need a scheme that is simple enough for our team to be able to run. If it's so complicated, it fools the defense, but our offensive players can't remember it. That doesn't work. That's right. So simple is about the system. Hard is about the effort that's required. And, and I, I said this, and I believe this to be true, that great leaders, not only for themselves, but for their teams, great leaders simplify systems to amplify effort. They simplify systems to amplify. We create a system that's easy enough for people to, or it's simple enough for them to understand, but it still requires work for them to thrive in.
0: That's fantastic. And I totally agree with that. And I think the better the system, the more it allows us to be that person that God created us to be. Because we've got, and whether it's a calendaring system or a time management system or whatever it is. And then you said, if our partner vanishes, this is why it's so important to have all three, we can feel like we're really alone. Yeah. What are some things you're putting in place in your life, Kevin, to make sure you don't end up in the alone category? What would you say? Yeah, that's,
1: I mean, number one is you mentioned the group, like having a a group like the one that we're in together. uh, I'm thankful for you for starting, and you've done a a bunch of those. Just having that community is one. Um, Number two, being plugged into a church. Let me give a Mike Lynch quote. I will never forget this. This is probably seven years ago. You've told it to me for the first time, and I bet you've said it to me 10 times since then. You told me, to find a place to serve where I am just Kevin mm. and what you mean by that, It's like, there are certain places I go serve and I'm Kevin, the author. So Kevin, will you teach us this? Or I'm Kevin, the business leader. So Kevin, you just, but where I can just, um, where I am, um, my value that I bring is just that I'm there, not in some special expertise or anything. So I think finding those areas and number three, um, I think just, you know, not reading my own press clippings, which there's not a ton of those press clippings these days. So that's good. I don't have a lot to read, but you know, I want to have people around me who love me enough to call me out on my junk and tell Mm me, man, you're Kevin, you, you're too big for your britches there, man. You're just, you're not that great.
0: As you think about your life, Kevin, You've got George and Amelia. you got another one on the way. When they're adults one day, what do you hope they will say about how you inspired them as your children? You know, it's great for Kevin to go hit conferences and lecture halls and business offices. But what do you want your kids to say about what you did for them as a dad to help them go chase the dreams that God has for their lives? Wow. Oh, I think of a couple things.
1: One, I just, I want them to say that I was the same. What I wrote about in the book, I lived in my life. That that there was a, an integrity uh, of what I said and what I did. That I think is probably the most important, but I'm going to tell you that problem piece is the part that I worry most about with my kids. So uh I've heard it said this way that and by the way we're not we are by no means wealthy but I grew up I mean I'm telling you I was the first person in my family to go to college just very middle class we we um we I had some problems that I had to tackle growing up and I think there are times where sometimes we can get in a position where we make life too easy for our kids. Somebody has used this term, the affliction of affluence. And I want to make sure that I don't rob my kids of the opportunity to do hard things. Man, when somebody runs a marathon, they put a sticker on their car that says 26.2. When somebody runs one mile, nobody puts a sticker on their car that says 1.0 because nobody gives a rip. They don't like it. You only feel like it's meaningful if you do hard things. And, and I hope that I will create an environment where my kids will
0: be challenged to do that. Wasn't that so fun? You know, one of my favorite parts about that, Kevin Scott lives it. Kevin wakes up, has a purpose, has a passion, and he's living it out and really does live inspired and causes inspiration in everybody he touches and everybody he leads Kevin is a phenomenal person who lives out what he writes. And that's what I appreciate the most. Thank you, Kevin, for sharing on this episode. So, so good. When our next episode, we get to sit down with March madness going on with coach Jimmy Dykes. You know him from ESPN, you know him from his coaching days. He's a previous guest on one of our podcasts, and we're going to talk about what it means to coach me up. And it's going to be a fun one. So, if you get a chance today, leave a rating and review if you could. It does help other people find their way to us. And once again, thanks for getting for joining me on the Lynch with Leader podcast. And until next time, go be the person that God created you to be in the spaces and the places that He has put you. Have a great day, everybody.